listening to the nutmeg arena by the nutmeg assist hello everyone and another episode of the nutmeg arena podcast brought to you by the nutmeg assist myself rithvik the host of the show and today it's an in house podcast and i'm joined by sudesh who's going to be the co-host today welcome sudesh uh hello rithvik thank you so much for welcoming me and i'm excited to be on the episode co-hosting this episode and how have you been yeah all good mate all good i mean the last probably last one and a half months hasn't been perfect football wise i would say because <laughs> not 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 the, not the greatest time to be a liverpool fan uh so after yesterday's win yeah i'm i'm actually quite buzzing because you have the merseyside derby coming up this weekend as well and i mean i mean i i know it's cruel for me to ask you how you been doing football wise because you support fc barcelona uh, yeah all right so as you said it, it was not at all a perfect time to be a liverpool fan first like two or three months i would say but for a barcelona fan it has been like this the whole season after ronald koeman has taken over like highs and lows are always a part of a game but like especially when it comes to champions league we were thinking we would finally get a clutch thing with ronald koeman although i had no particular high expectations with him especially after the juventus game that we saw but back to back home losses for the first time ever in our history in the champions league and very slim chances of a comeback at paris leaves me devastated and yeah it's not at all a good time to be a barcelona fan either yeah absolutely and that probably you know is the start of this episode or the of the first topic probably we'll directly focus on the champions league fixtures first before moving on to the patron question because this is a patron question special episode but we thought we'd add a, a couple of champions league games in as well you know to provide some extra stuff or extra content So starting with the Barcelona PSG game Sudesh 4-1 Kylian Mbappe hat trick and <laughs> what a performance from Mbappe not just Mbappe uh, Verratti was absolutely exceptional he is someone who's you know, who 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 does work under the radar and goes under the radar quite often and just because he's playing in France he doesn't get the credit that I feel a lot of other you know center midfielders or center defensive midfielders get because no people say the people kind of stereotype the league on as uh, you know the farmers league which is absolutely <laughs> rubbish but yeah coming on to the main point 4-1 kylian mbappe hat trick you no know, barcelona completely shut out what you know how do some of the game i mean it would be unfair just to talk about the game if we want to talk about how barcelona lost the game I mean it is a part of a larger picture I would say and talking about Kylian Mbappe yeah he was absolutely stunning yesterday it was a 100 on 100 game for him and the thing that he delivers this kind of games consistently is what I'm excited about in terms of individual that Mbappe is uh, so in my perspective as a Barcelona fan I'm an Argentina fan as well so it was kind of a flashback to what Mbappe did during the World Cup against Argentina a similar kind of performance impeccable ball control and absolutely lethal in front of the goal so talking about that i always knew kylian mbappe would be a headache for about the barcelona defense provided that 
we don't have defenders to cope with his pace or his ability. But, you know, as a football fan and as a fan that supports a particular club, you always have that level of expectations and that room for miracles to happen. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. And it was kind of a portrayal of a bigger picture that Barcelona are going through, a bigger suffering that Barcelona are going through. And Kylian Mbappe just put the latest nail on the factor. Yeah, and I mean, I see a lot of people, you know, slating Leo Messi, which is, <laughs> which is, which is expected, which is usual, because he is, my, in my personal opinion, the GOAT footballer. Uh, yeah. Along with Cristiano Ronaldo. So, you know, you, you are bound to get criticism. I mean, he got a lot of criticism last season for his performances in the you know, field knockout, especially in the game against Bayern, where he was silent, although the complete team was symbolic. Yesterday was quite similar. Messi, people like, like people said that Messi was completely ineffective, which I completely disagree once again, because it's mm-hmm. like, it, it's like producing, you know, or it's like creating or being your team's best creator and people saying that you sucked. It, it's pretty unfair uh, because Messi was probably Barcelona's best creator when it comes to expected assists or, you know, short creating actions, which is probably a better indicator. Uh, Messi, Led for Barcelona, he had seven short creating actions. I think the highest in the game was Kylian Mbappe with eight. So yeah. that that is pretty good. But I mean, I saw a, you know a heat map from the guys at uh, you know fa- fa- the fan the fan analytics pod as well on Twitter. They posted uh, Messi's uh, heat map for the first half and the second half. So although the first half he was probably a little bit more influential, he was completely left isolated much more in the second half. So there are a lot of issues tactically as well. I mean, something that Arsene Wenger spoke of after the game yesterday. I saw the clip uh, that Bean Sports uh, clip where Wenger says Barcelona doesn't have runners of the ball, and this is something I think it's not it's not something that's happened recently. It is it is something that you know that people in in uh, in in Twitter on foot Twitter or you know in 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 the tactical side of football or you know, people who are more knowledgeable about the game say often, often about Barcelona that Barcelona doesn't have runners off the ball. And that's something I think which has pulled Barcelona backwards. You look at Anton Griezmann, you look at Usmane Dembele and you look at other players. I think yeah. probably jo- Jordi Alba is probably the only one who makes proper runs. Maybe Ansu Fati as well, but he's injured right now. So Sudesh, I mean, I don't want to get into the past because we spoke, uh, we've spoken <laughs> a lot about Barcelona in previous podcasts. But how do you think Barcelona, you know, restructures or rebuilds from here? Do you think this is probably Messi's last Champions League game at Camp Nou? Um, so uh, since you referred to the Arsene Wenger's talk, uh, there were a lot of getaways from Arsene, uh, from what I heard him saying. And the thing that it stood out to me was like, you spend tons of money on players on transfers but all you do at the end of the day is depend on a player that's getting 34 this june and that is all about where the reconstruction and all the talks about it starts so it's messi's 34 or 33 you cannot expect him to run berserk like he used to do back in pep guardiola's day he used to press he used to track back a lot more than what he does now and you cannot expect that to happen with a 33-year-old Messi. Here, you expecting him to press on the ball, get deep, and track 
the opposition forward or, or defense is directly proportional to you saying like he's uh, don't be effective in the front line. Messi always needs to be in the front in order for him to get the ball and do what he does the best in front of the goal. But the problem really lies here is, as you pointed out, uh, the lack of runners behind the ball. So we basically had Dembele and Griezmann who love to play with the ball, but there are no run making or uh, players who can actually be in the void in the absence of the ball. And uh, the, since we're talking about the players, I think I, I really think Messi is more out of Barcelona than in Barcelona as of right now, because it, um, of course, it depends on the presidential results still. But like up until now, he has never explicitly said he's going to be in Barcelona. So it, that puts me in a factor that uh, he might be way in his out rather than being in Barcelona the next season. And we could have possibly seen the last bit of uh, Messi in camp now in the Champions League this uh, last night. So uh, coming to your point of whether or not Barcelona can reconstruct, I think yes, because all the football clubs have fallen and they've risen. But what is really to look after is the project or the way that they choose to go through. We know it is not going to be just one or two seasons. We're not going to be like a super studded player that will transform the club. It will require a process and it will require a complete transformation of not just equipments, but like of all the hierarchy and structure. So I think massive changes and massive announcements are on their way from Barcelona, especially in the periphery of the presidential elections. But I think a uh, reconstruction is necessary and is possible provided that they kind of don't commit the errors that they made previously with withholding the players or clueless uh, recruitments of players and etc. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to drag this too much uh, because we are basically going to talk about the game. We spoke about that, but you know, yesterday's game, when I look at yesterday's game, the defense seems to be completely shambolic. I think Barcelona definitely needs to replace Gerard Pique. Clement Longley is not the solution. Uh, Samuel Umtiti is way past what he was before pre-injury, I would say. And Barcelona yeah. are left without a good centre-back. I mean, you have the youth players being Vesa, people like that. But Barcelona, yeah, Arao and... But Barcelona definitely need a centre back, and they need someone to, to you know, uh, you know, basically PK needs to you know pass the bait into someone else because it's time. It's completely you know shambolic. The, the defending yesterday, you know, uh, I, I think it was for Mbappe's second goal. Yeah. There was six people lined. You saw Griezmann. Yeah. Yeah, you saw Antoine Griezmann and you no know, Dembele come back into six. Mbappe nicely broke it and you know got inside and scored. And when you see things like that happen, you don't just question the players, you also question the manager. I know Ronald Koeman has kind of had a small or a minor remontada recently. His performances in big games has been quite good or quite, you know, uh, worthy of an applause. But yesterday was completely the exact opposite. Uh, but Sudesh, uh, in case Messi is sold, uh, I mean sold, and you you generate sufficient funds because the club is in massive massive debt right now, and mm-hmm. suppose uh, say suppose you get a good president as well, whoever that is, 
how do you actually think that Barca should you know, replace players or what area of the pitch do you think is the most important first and where would you actually look for for players? Just a quick answer. Yeah, yeah. so just to put things quickly, uh, you started a good issue on this. So if you look at all the defeats, massive defeats that Barcelona have had in like previous two or three seasons, I can see a trend of players that were present in those defeats, be it Gerard Pique, be it Sergio Busquets, be it Lionel Messi. And I think Barcelona needs to move on to the fact that these players cannot deliver uh, day in and day out in their 30s and etc. So I think the, that has to come from the basics. I mean, whether be it recruiting new centre-backs or grooming the resources that Barcelona already has or getting uh, youths from the ranks for for midfield reconstruction or, you know, building a team around a player who's just like approaching 23 or 24. I, I can genuinely see uh, Pedri doing that in uh, two or three seasons from now. He can, he, I think he can wear that heavy shirt for Barcelona. So for now, what I think is primitive and what is absolutely necessary is for Barcelona to realize that they cannot always rely and they cannot always count on the players that they could count during the 2010s. Uh, it's high time that they uh, go towards a new tactic, or uh, not necessarily tactic, but a new restructuring scheme that sees them more as a team and not as a team that is dependent on an individual player. So uh, I think it's absolutely necessary to uh, create a thriving forward line that can exist without Messi. I think it's absolutely necessary to create a midfield uh, line that does not depend on Messi to create and absolutely a defensive line that does not need Gerard Piquet to deliver in clutch moments. Uh, I think the whole team, I, I cannot pinpoint at this point that this recruitment is necessary, but like the whole team uh, needs to be restructured in such a point that it plays as a team and not as a team that ultimately counts on Messi to score that clutch goal uh, in order to get them through. Yeah, that's that's pretty much you know, uh, on point, Sudesh, because like you said, there's, there's, a, there's a massive overhaul necessary at Barcelona and the faster or the sooner, the better for the club as a whole. And moving on to the next game, actually, RB Leipzig versus Liverpool. I'm rubbing my hands for the first time in weeks, I must say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was far from convincing, to be honest, from Liverpool. But it was still a positive performance. It was still a good performance, uh, Sudesh. Because, you know, uh, what what I saw in the last couple of months, probably probably from the West Brom game, was that Liverpool kind of weren't convincing going forward. So yesterday against Leipzig, they pressed us high. Uh, I mean... Yeah. Just, just, just giving an, uh, you know, or, or a probably, you know, uh, a probably, what do you call, it, or an outline of how both the teams set up. So Leipzig basically had three at the back: Klosterman, Upamecano, and Mukiel. Uh, they had two wing backs as well: Angelino, who's most uh, the guy with the most threat on the left hand side. He's been a, he's 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 probably or arguably I think Leipzig's best player, if if I'm being honest, and. He he completely targeted Trent Alexander-Arnold, and I think that was the plan from the very beginning. So Leipzig had these wing-backs, and they completely stretched Liverpool. They wanted to actually stretch Liverpool, and they had enough man in the middle. Marcel Sabitzer, uh, Kevin Campbell, um, Adams as well. Uh, 
so these guys completely tried to stretch liverpool and also probably overload in in, in the central areas and there were time times where danny olmo you know, completely you know put jorginho vinaldum out of the game he took vinaldum out of the game by probably you know screening him so that he doesn't get involved much so that that i felt was probably uh, a really good tactic from leipzig they pressed us high at the start for the complete game i must say uh, yeah. they were quite effective early and i think they might have probably taken the lead little bit unlucky there with the first header which you know uh, hit the post and luckily didn't hit any part of alisson's body and go in because he was probably coming off uh, off on the, on the back of you know uh, probably his worst couple of performances in at liverpool so leipzig started well but then liverpool kind of picked it up so they tried to actually pressure trent alexander arnold but i think he handled it well multiple times ozan kabak i think the center back to liverpool signed from schalke the first yeah. game in cluster i think he looked shaky or probably not so confident but yesterday was a completely different picture and i think that's a kind of ozan kabak that i definitely want to see i think that's what liverpool fans want to see that assurance because he was reading the game pretty well i think probably he was reading the game quite better than henderson because leipzig targeted henderson they had a few moments where they ran in behind henderson and you know uh, had a couple of chances right at the death wang he chan had one i think um, nkunku uh, christopher nkunku had one which alisson saved as well kabak looked solid he took a yellow card which was for the team uh, but he was quite confident on the ball he was trying to break the lines he tried to spray long balls to sala or mane as well so that is something that i found very positive and curtis jones in the middle was also quite brilliant yeah and so, this is yeah yeah i yeah yeah so let's yeah so uh, you you brought in the topic of curtis jones uh, and he started yesterday as well how do you think the youngster played yeah um i mean that's what what i wanted to highlight as well because uh you have this generation in england where you have players like jaden sancho uh, mason mount callum hudson or i feel ford and mason greenwood etc bukaya kusaka etc pop up these games <laughs> you have you have loads i mean i'll, I'll have yeah. to probably take a big list and you know <laughs> say one by one but and this guy guy yeah this guy curtis jones is definitely going to be one of those i still think he's not at the level probably of say Phil Foden or uh, Bukayo Kusaka because i think they are probably the best two best english youngsters you and mason mount sorry for missing out mason mount i mean he's also one of the best there uh, but he's slowly improving curtis jones he was probably seen as the future i mean there was an article from james pierce today uh, on the athletic but i haven't read that but the tagline or 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 the headline was that it's he's not the future anymore he is the present and that i think is very correct because with all the injury uh, situation that liverpool has had uh, you know this season curtis has stepped up into midfield he has had some brilliant performances he hasn't been like 100% convincing i would say but from a 19 year old in 19 year old i think this is probably the maximum that we can ask for now so i think he's been assured he loves to have the ball and he is pretty skillful with the ball he knows to hold the ball he can probably beat a press as well so that is something um, that i think will benefit liverpool a lot and with jorginho vinaldum leaving as a free agent this summer i think curtis jones might have a bigger role next season i think there's going to be a big chance that uh, liverpool sell alex oxley chamberlain as well 
and James Milner's contract also runs out. So Curtis Jones is going to be a major, major part of the setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, uh, we talked about Curtis Jones and talking about midfielders, we cannot even miss Sabitzer. He has been absolutely instrumental in Nagelsmann's system. And one of the main factors that Leipzig lacked yesterday was Sabitzer was not as convincing or up to his park, uh, up to his par like he re- regularly is in Nagelsmann's system. So how do you think that kind of contributed to Liverpool's favor? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, 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 pro- I, I mean, a few moments back I said Angelino was arguably Leipzig's best player. I completely forgot about Marcel Sabitzer. I think it's a competition between the two. <laughs> Because Sabitzer is someone that you would definitely love to have in your team. He's an engine. He knows how to create. He also helps out a lot on the defensive side of the game as well. I think he's probably a manager's dream to have. And yesterday, I I, didn't, I don't think that he was probably not that influential. Uh, but he, he did play a big part in, you know, uh, probably initiating the press and also linking up Leipzig fast with those one-touch passes. So he completely, you know, dropped deep to receive ball from Kevin Campbell. I mean, Liverpool kind of probably blocked Kevin Campbell's passing lanes most of the time. So there was not many options for Campbell, not many options forward for Campbell, basically, during the game. But Sabitzer kind of dropped into space, kind of, you know, linked up play a lot as well. But I think, or also he made that big mistake, which probably gave Liverpool the lead, Mohamed Salah, that missed pass. So, I, I wouldn't actually say it was a bad performance by any means. Yes, he made that big, big, big error, but he was pretty good. But I think, yes, probably a little bit more of Sabitzer and, and, and a little bit more of, you know, uh, clinicalness shown by Leipzig would have probably, you know, uh, seen a, a different result. Yeah. I think we both can agree on the fact that Angelino definitely had a better game than Sabitzer yesterday and had a greater influence in the game than Sabitzer. So uh, moving on, uh, this game like was a battle between two German managers, like the, the ultimate face of German football coaching, Jürgen Klopp, and then the next big figure, or already the big figure, Julian Nagelsmann. So Liverpool walked into this game with like I guess three losses, and I I know you were completely uh, kind of expecting another setback, and uh, but it turned out really good. And how do you think this will uh, be in Liverpool's favor? Can they pick up pick it up and and transform it into uh, their struggling zone that is English Premier League as of right now? I mean, uh, you look at the City game as well as the Leicester game. Leicester game, I mean. Um, Against Manchester City, I think Liverpool played quite well. Uh, I mean, I, I rewatched the game two or three times because I had to do an analysis for a certain coach. Uh, so I kind of, you know, went minute by minute, second by second as well. So Liverpool had quite a few brilliant, you know, opportunities, I would say, uh, during attacking transitions, which they slowed down and completely wasted. And... They gifted Manchester City, basically, the second and the third goal. Even the fourth goal probably should have been saved by Alisson. Uh, it was a board. Uh, it, it was not technically an error, but probably Alisson normally saves that. So, I think errors cost, the cost us that game. It probably would have ended up, uh, ended up in a draw. Um, against Leicester, we took the lead. 
um, there was quite a decent involvement from VAR, but again, individual errors costing us. Uh, the Allison Kabak mix up, then us you know, completely getting completely broken in defensive transition for the second goal and also the third goal. So it's 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 been quite uh, it's been quite a surprise, I would say, the last two games because against Leicester, Liverpool took the lead. And I thought it would have been, uh, it would probably be a win or a draw at, at max. But eventually we lost and we couldn't, you know, we kind of crumbled, which is something that, uh, you know, we don't see much from Liverpool. Uh, probably in the last two seasons, I, I don't think we've seen Liverpool crumble like they did against Leicester. So that was a surprise. And coming into this game, we took the lead. We scored the second goal. Leipzig had the chances, like I said. So if they had probably scored one of those probably the game would have uh, you know uh, ended differently but but still liverpool looked confident and i think they kind of lacked that confidence especially certain individual players as well sadio mane has been going through a very bad run of form fomino as, as well he's not been probably at his best this season he's kind of declining sala has been probably liverpool's best player this season and after the leicester loss there was a team meeting the players private meeting between the players and the likes of Jordan Henderson, uh, Mohamed Salah, etc., were very vocal on social media. Especially Salah, who put out a you know a strong message on social media saying that uh, they will fight back. And I think that has probably massively helped. The attitude was a lot different yesterday, and which I think was something that was missing. And going into the Merseyside derby, I think if we manage to nick a win in, in the Merseyside derby, I think that's going to push us probably a lot further in the Premier League this season. Of course, um, losing Virgil van Dijk in the middle, I would say in the start of the season and then having to panic by two central defenders and being in this position is not at all a good point of time for Liverpool. But uh, I guess the fans are hoping they can pick it up from here and defeat their city rivals in the next game in the English Premier League. Moving on, we got some Patreon questions with us, so we'll just try and answer them. Uh, so let's start with what did you say? Yeah, it's from Dieter, as usual, our favorite patron right now, who, who always asks us some really amazing questions. So basically, he has I think four questions. We'll start with uh, one of the biggest news that broke out probably in the last week. Dio Upamecano joining Bayern Munich. What what are what what are your thoughts on that, Sudesh? I mean, first things first. Kudos to Fabrizio Romano for breaking these news as well. I kind of am fascinated towards the journalism side of things, so kudos to Fabrizio Romano for breaking out this news as well. So now Upamecano to Bayern Munich makes a lot of sense as to the transfer activity surrounding uh, the transfer. Uh, if that makes sense, it's like uh, David Alaba is rumored to have already signed a contract with Real Madrid and Bayern Munich are losing one of their most experienced centre-backs. So Dario Bermecano, one of the most wanted centre-backs in the whole world, is joining Bayern. means Bayern are absolutely mastering the trick that they started and getting the best players of their league and then building a team, building a team that consists of them in the, that same league and dominating it. So I think Upamecano to Bayern Munich definitely works because Upamecano is smart with his movements and is a very, very, very technically sound player when it comes to defending. And I think it will just add up to Hansi Flick's um, side so much that they 
we, we can expect them to be stronger uh, in the presence of a diatomocano. Yeah, fair. And I mean, but do, do, do you think that it was probably not a very timely announcement from Bayern considering that Leipzig are pretty much in the title race this season and, you know, he's joining Bayern at the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, it's always shattering to see this kind of transfer news break out in the middle of the season. And what's more damaging is the impact that these kind of announcements have in the aftermath of those professionals. For example, I can exactly pinpoint the fact that uh, Julian Lopetegui's uh, announcement done by Real Madrid just before Spanish uh, World Cup campaign immediately damp like shattered in Spain's hope of lifting the 2018 World Cup. And we, we could see that when they crashed out to Russia, uh, that their plans had to be changed in the last moment and Lopetegui had to draw out at the, uh, was uh, sacked from Spanish national team manager post then and there. And Bayern kind of signing it in the middle of the season, just at the brink of the close of the winter window, it's not at all sound. I w- it would have made sense if they had announced it in the winter window itself, because that is where the deals are done. But I don't think this is the most professional way to do it. Yeah, fair enough. And I think we've seen a lot of clubs do the same as well. So, you know, you can't really blame Bayern a lot. But yeah, it kind of, you know, probably irks a few people. But yeah, that does about Upamecano, Sudesh. Probably moving on to the next question from Dieter. Again, um, a pretty nice question because this is a prediction question and it's going to probably eat your brains a little. Do you think Dortmund and Liverpool might get top four at the end of the season? Because there's, I mean, there's, there's a completely different mess at, at Dortmund with the situation with the coach and, you know, even off the field as well at Liverpool with all the, you know, uh, bad results recently and injuries. So, do you think both the clubs might finish in the top four at the end of the season? I mean, I would prefer you to answer this question rather than me because of the Liverpool part of things. But like, from what I've observed till date, both of them are world-class clubs and we cannot doubt their abilities to pull things off at the last moment. But uh, as it happens with every single world-class club, they're going through some of the most struggling phases before it um, perhaps like they're, they're, they might not be in a similar situation, but they have been struggling in a similar fashion. So I think they are going to make it to top four in their respective leagues this season. And But it's a time will tell and it's a pretty uh, paradox uh, thing. Like it, it's a paradox to predict that uh, they're going whether they're going to be on the top four or not r- right now. But in my personal instincts, I think they're going to be that. What about you? Um, I mean, I don't know how how feasible it's for Borussia Dortmund to probably finish in the top four. They're probably going to find it pretty difficult. But as for Liverpool, I mean, right now they are in sixth. Uh, I think Chelsea and West Ham just above them. But I think it, in the Premier League, it's pretty much close. I think City are... City at the top are probably running away, I would say. Kind of running away or starting to run run away, I would say, probably. Uh, but other than that, Manchester United in second, um, Leicester in third, Chelsea fourth, West Ham fifth, and Liverpool sixth. So there's not a huge 
difference or a huge gap between these clubs. I think it's six points between second place United and you know sixth place Liverpool. So a couple of results might change the whole picture again. So as far as the squad is concerned, I think Liverpool should get top four. Uh, they will have Fabinho, Diogo Jota and Naby Keita return soon. And probably you might see me, you know, uh, run a lot of Naby Keita propaganda on Twitter. <laughs> the guy named Iniesta, that's what I, I call him, you know, quite cheekily. Quite cheekily, basically, don't take it literally. But yeah, I think he's going to probably be a very important figure if he manages to stay fit. That's That's always been his issue. And I think Diogo Jota was having a stellar season, his first season at Liverpool, and he was having a brilliant start before he got that injury, which was quite you know sad. Um, so I think yes, Liverpool probably should get top four. I would say I don't know who is gonna probably get out of the four. Uh, I think City are going to be there in the top four. I think Manchester United might also somehow creep in. Uh, it's going to be hard with for Leicester City and Chelsea, I guess. And one of Leicester or Chelsea and then Liverpool, I would say, in the top four. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Liverpool fan predicting that they are close to the top four <laughs> and will make it to the top four <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Uh, so uh, now moving on to the next question uh, by Dieter himself. So what is your take about Marco Rose joining Borussia Dortmund? I think uh, I think we all saw this coming, right, Sudesh? Uh, Marco uh, Rosa com- probably taking over Dortmund next season. Exactly. I mean, this is probably like a chain reaction, I would say. Uh, I think it was either Marco Rosa or uh, Jesse Marsh from Salzburg. But I think Rosa made more sense because of... Uh, I, I, I spoke to Derek Ray a few, a couple of months back, and he said that Marco Rosa's suit them more because of the kind of person he is or because of the kind of character he is, the kind of passion that he brings, the kind of emotion that he brings. I think that probably is a match, a perfect match, Dortmund and Marco Rosa. So I think it was a no-brainer. As for Marco Rosa as well, I think uh, the jump from Gladbach to Dortmund is probably considerably, I think, a better move. Uh, although Dortmund might finish uh, uh, or might not get a Champions League spot next season, I, I still think it's it's a good move for Rosa. I think that's his next step, basically. Um, so I think it's a good move. I mean, we all we all might have read a lot about his tactics as well. He is someone who likes pressing. He's someone who thinks a lot. But probably one thing that I want to see happen is Rene Maric moving with Marco Rosa. I think that's what I want to see a lot. Or you, I, or I want probably Rene Maric to you know take over the the gaffer role at Gladbach. Or, or this is probably something that I want to see, but let's see how how feasible it is or if it happens. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Marco Rosa and Rene Maric, the match made in heaven for football analytics uh, community in Twitter. Uh, so with that being said, uh, Rithwik referred to a podcast that we did at the Nutmeg Assist. Uh, be sure you check that out. It was with awesome Derek Ray. He came in our podcast and he spoke some words of wisdom regarding his views on football and his journey uh, in sports broadcasting and commentary. Now, uh, the last question for Dieter, our awesome Dieter. Who will buy Spen Botman? What do you think, Ritwik? I've heard he's been linked to Manchester United and I'm not surprised at all. Any 
talent in the world is linked to Manchester United. But eventually the move kind of gets shady at the end and it kind of, uh, to Manchester United fans' dismay, it falls apart. What do you think? Which club is he going to join? I mean, you mentioned Manchester United there. Uh, there is not a single player on earth that doesn't get linked with Manchester United. You always see a top player in a Manchester United shirt photoshopped by someone on Twitter, on YouTube or any other social media platform. I mean, I, I, I even saw a Sergio Ramos picture pop up recently on a WhatsApp group with uh-huh. wearing a Manchester United t-shirt. Someone nicely photoshopped it. And I was saying, okay, this is quite normal because it's Manchester United. They are probably arguably the biggest club in England. Not, uh, yeah, arguably the biggest club in England. I, I probably mm-hmm. take, take this in the chin and say, <laughs> but yeah, and coming to Sven Botman, his, he was pretty much linked with Liverpool during the uh, January transfer window for a long period. Left footer, Lille, former Ajax player, good in the air, decent with the ball, not decent, I think, uh, pretty good with the ball as well. He's not probably a perfect fit for Liverpool, I would say. Uh, I'm uh, Sorry, I'm not probably being disrespectful or anything. Um, I think it's probably not going to be a Virgil van Dijk replacement if it's Liverpool because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's, it's a completely different class, van Dijk and Botman. But Botman kind of has that ability probably. He's pretty young still. He doesn't have a lot of pace. Uh, he makes up uh, in recoveries with his long strides, which is pretty good. It's, it's a pretty good way. So he's somewhat intelligent. He's good. He's good in the air. I think Liverpool are a club that were pretty much linked. So I would like to see how that you know, pans out because Liverpool has signed Kabak as well. I think they might probably make the Kabak deal permanent if things go quite decent uh, till the end of the season. In that case, I'm not sure how feasible Botman is because he's going to be left-sided centre-back. Unless you sell uh, Joel Matip or Joe Gomez, I don't think uh, Liverpool are going to sign a centre-back. Um, in case Kabak is made permanent. Another club, Manchester United, I think they need a left side, a centre-back. Uh, a left-footer on the left side would be probably very much helpful for them in the build-up as well. And I think Harry Maguire is playing on the left-hand side. And Harry Maguire has done pretty amazing this season. He's been involved in the build-up for Manchester United quite often. So I think it would be better to push Maguire on the right side and Sven Botman playing on the left. And Lindelof, and Eric Bailly probably might be a decent backup. So I think that's that's one department where Manchester United needs strengthening. So Botman might make sense for them. But the only thing that I think, uh, sorry, the only thing that uh, I feel is probably, you know, quite uh, quite confusing is his price tag. Lille are masters at manipulation in the transfer window. They kind of have amazing <laughs> PR. You saw with Nicolas Pepe, all right. Uh, how, yeah. how they- Pleased Arsenal with a lot of money. I mean, he was good, but not 72 million good, I would say. Uh, so they pleased. They they kind of do this with all their transfers as well. So they are demanding 40 to 50 million euros for Sven Botman, which I think is probably a little too much. Um, so it will be interesting to see. I think Liverpool, Manchester United have two good options. Uh, Chelsea, I'm not very sure. They probably might need one player, but I don't know if they are probably going to target him. Arsenal pretty much have a, a player in Gabriel on the left-hand side, so I don't think they're going to sign him either. 
Spurs probably might need one. Um, so that's probably the English clubs going on to Spain. Real Madrid probably also might sign someone with uh, Ramos uh, pretty much going to leave uh, at the end of the season. Varane also, you know, is in talks with the club. I don't know what his future holds as well. Militao hasn't settled well, so I think they need a centre back. I don't know if I, I don't think Botman is the right pick for them. So probably rule Real Madrid out, not Barcelona either. So I think probably an English transfer makes more sense for Sven Botman and uh, it probably has to be one of Liverpool or Manchester United or maybe Spurs, I would say. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, so it makes a lot of sense that Premier League clubs are going for left-footed centre-backs and I reference Tom Werbel's article on the athletic, like he explained why left-footed centre-backs are in demand at the market. And it's obvious that a left-footed centre-back like Botman is attracting interest. And a recent development on the saga, Botman's agent has rejected the claims of a Premier League deal that emerged out two or three days ago of a 45 million agreement with a Premier League club. Uh, With that being said, I think we're towards the end of the podcast. Uh, I'm I'm a co-host and like I've not been here so much long. And is this how it's done, Rithwick? <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty nice question because I kind of you know uh, I I don't know how I wind up episodes either. Somehow <laughs> I, I I mean it, it comes automatically like a robot. I think I probably done a lot of podcasts right now, hosted a lot of podcasts right now, and I think it's programmed somewhere when where I say okay that brings us to the end of this episode. <laughs> you hear all the podcasts that uh, I've hosted. I think you might hear the same thing over and over yeah. again and. Uh, I think a couple of people have already told me that, bro, just change some words, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Right, so, yeah. Can I can I close the episode for you then, for Absolutely. our listeners to have a new taste? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. All right. So uh, this is going to be an epic ending to a DNA podcast, just as Erling Haaland has goal scoring programmed in his brain. Ritwik has closing lines programmed in his brain so okay guys so we've come to this awesome episode of the nutmeg arena podcast if you enjoy that podcast and if you want to hear me uh, talk in this podcast uh, frequently you might uh, draft Ritwik some uh, twitter dms or join our patreon and then post your comments there uh, i'm your co-host sudesh and with me is my fellow uh, host and the boss uh, Ritwik rajendran saying goodbye from our side.